Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Of this Gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, eternal, infallible, and inerrant Word to our souls. And so, Father, with that as the foundation, I beg of You to help me teach. To help us all see even more clearly what Paul saw because you revealed it to him by revelation. That his joy in a life of suffering and setbacks, that his joy would be our joy through the same means because he has written it down for us. Oh, may that be applied in that way to every soul bring salvation and sanctification and holiness to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to open up with a, a question. And I contend that the following question is the most important question you will ever answer. It's more important than what college you decide to attend. It's more important than whom you will marry. It is more important than whom you will vote for this November. It's more important than where you'll live, what major you'll choose, what you decide to do for a career. And here it is. When you read or you hear read to you Paul's writings in the New Testament, are they overwhelmingly attractive to you? Do you hear in what Paul wrote the essence of the meaning of all existence? If you answer yes to that, yes, I do. I, I see. I am moved by what he wrote. I believe it. I know that it's true. 
The mystery of the person of Jesus Christ unfolded through Paul is my desire. If that's your answer, then you are saved. You belong to Jesus Christ. You see, if that message Paul laid out is the heartbeat of your soul, is your desire to know Him more and more from the inside, working its way out in your life. You belong to Him. And that is because of the power of God working in your life through the Gospel given to Paul. It's right there in verse 4. See, this is referring to believers. Paul is writing to believers in Jesus. I have written briefly. When you believers read this, you can get it. Or you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So now let's just unfold, look at the text this morning. Let's briefly pick up the flow of the context. Remember Paul did not write three, chapter three, or or verses. So let's pick up the flow. What we're going to read is coming out of the context of what he had just said in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, which is basically this. For 1,800 years or so, God's blessings were mostly restricted to the Jews. From Abraham until Christ. All the other people groups referred to as The Gentiles, the word meaning the nations, they were outside of God's covenant people. But now, Paul says in chapter 2, since Jesus has come, the message, the gospel of eternal salvation goes to the Jews and also to all the other nations, the Gentiles. That Jesus has come to construct a temple made of Jews and non-Jews. To make, as Paul put it in chapter 2, one new man from the two peoples, Jews and Gentiles. Okay, now, chapter 3. Look at it. He says, For this reason... Pointing backwards. In other words, because of these truths that Jesus is taking Gentiles and Jews and saving them and putting them together, making one new person, no more division. Because of these truths, or for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, Gentiles. Notice if you at least have the ESV, they decided in the translation to put a dash. And it's correct. 
Because Paul stopped, broke his train of thought and went on to something else than what he was going to do. I think what happened is Paul got sidetracked when he said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. When he mentioned his imprisonment, what he does now is stop because he was going to pray or he was going to reveal to them, this is what I pray for you Gentiles. That's exactly where he's going. And then the brakes come on and he goes on a rabbit trail all the way through verse 13. You see, if Paul did not stop and go on the rabbit trail, we know what he would have said because he does say it. He picks it up in verse 14. So let's just to see it for a moment. Start with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes on the rabbit trail. And he picks it up. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he starts to tell them how he prays that everything he's laid out about this gospel of Jesus making one new man from Jews and Gentiles together. I pray that it gets deep down into your souls, Gentiles, that you truly get it. But, he's on the rabbit trail. So, start again with verse 1. He's about to pray. And then, he stops. Okay, postulation. As he talks about his imprisonment, right, he's in his own rented quarters there in Rome, he glances up and sees Steve, or whatever his name is, whichever Roman soldier was on duty at that moment to guard Paul, who had the right to have his own rented quarters. And he sees his Roman guard, and it hits him how his enemies may be using his imprisonment. His enemies, the Judaizers. These professing Christian Jews who hate Paul's Gospel. And he's thinking, what must they be saying? And so Paul now goes on the rabbit trail to take this opportunity to say, you Gentiles ought to rejoice at my imprisonment. Which is also, as he's going to say, I am an apostle. I have the gospel by revelation. When they tell you that I didn't give you the whole truth, they're lying. These professing Jews are lying to you. Now, just for a moment, if you don't know, in the first century, Paul's main battle is he would plant churches in Gentile places and non-Jews would come to Jesus, then he's gone and these Judaizers would flock to the town. Preach Jesus' resurrection to them and tell them, Paul kind of missed it because if you really want to be saved by Jesus, you must go on and convert to Judaism also. You must take to yourself the Jewish laws and practice Ceremonial circumcision, kosher diet, Sabbath-keeping, Jewish festivals. Okay. 
And so in the book of Galatians, which he wrote years earlier, we know there that one of the strategies of his enemies was that they would figure out ways to belittle Paul to their hearers. They had to tear him down to get their message through. So maybe at this point Paul's thinking, what are they saying about my imprisonment? Maybe, hey guys, Paul's been in prison almost five years. If he were truly God's apostle, would he be suffering in prison instead of freely out there doing what he's supposed to do if he's an apostle, bringing the gospel? And so Paul launches into his encouragement and says to his Gentile Christian readers, instead of allowing my imprisonment to be a hindrance to you like they're trying to do and cause you to doubt the gospel, that I gave you the whole thing, and to doubt my authority as a revelatory spokesperson directly sent from Jesus, instead you should be encouraged. Because my suffering here in prison is actually because of you, for your sake. It's actually because of the sect within the church of the Judaizers and the non-believing Jews in Jerusalem that is the reason, because of their hatred for my message to you Gentiles, saying you do not have to become a Jew to be saved by Jesus. It is precisely that that got me thrown into prison. I stood for the truth of the gospel. That's what he said. You can see it at the end of the rabbit trail. Look at verse 13. I am, excuse me, where is verse 13? We'll get there in a minute. Verse 1. For this reason. Now let's do it. Let's read verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And so Paul lays out to them, again, I am an apostle. I am a revelatory spokesperson. The message I gave you is by divine revelation. And so he begins with, for I, Paul a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Just think about his choice of words for a moment. I, Paul, he didn't say a prisoner because of my stinking enemies. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Or because of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles. That's why I'm suffering. Pit that up against the doctrine that floats around in the church today and on TV that proclaims Jesus has a way for you to live in financial prosperity and divine health and not be sick. Here's the pattern 
that you need to follow with your mouth and with your confessions. Paul suffered. Paul expected to suffer. Paul was willing to suffer the lack of wealth and of physical well-being for the sake of following Jesus. For the sake of standing for the truth of the Gospel. Even if it gets him thrown into jail. Paul was imprisoned when he wrote, and he was suffering unjustly. I mean, he did not do anything morally wrong that got him thrown into jail. Much like many brothers and sisters today who own bakeries, or they're self-employed photographers, and because of their faith in Jesus, they refuse to, I won't participate in the ceremony of a same-sex marriage. And they have their business destroyed through the legal system of lawsuits. And it's only going to get worse. But they're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. And in fact, here's Paul He's actually suffering for what he was doing was really good. He spent a few years going throughout his Gentile church plants raising money for the Jewish church in Judea. In our way of speaking of money, he raised millions of dollars to bring finally to Judea where they were suffering a huge lack of finances and hunger. And so, Paul finally is on his way to get back to Judea to bring the gift with those who are with him. And you know the story that Luke tells us. On his way to Jerusalem, the ship would embark here and where are the believers? And they would meet and pray with the Christians. And everywhere he went on the way to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit would speak to Paul through that lady and that man, these other believers, by the gift of prophecy and say, Paul, if you get to Jerusalem, some bad things are going to happen. And then finally the prophet Agabus, he says, give me your belt, Paul. Whoever owns this belt is going to be chained up and imprisoned if he goes to Jerusalem. And so they beg him, don't go, Paul. The Holy Spirit's saying this is what's going to happen. And Paul says, you've got to stop pleading with me because I'm so I'm led to go, I'm going. And then he says these words, quote from Acts 21.13. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he goes. And while he was in the temple one day, he's recognized as that guy throughout the diaspora, the Roman Empire, that is preaching this message of being saved without becoming Jewish. And a riot happens and Paul is almost beaten to death until he is rescued by the secular authorities. 
the Romans. They pull him away. Saved his life. He's arrested. He's in jail. They're trying to figure out what's the big commotion here in Jerusalem because they have their own religious authority and religious government under the Roman government. And then there's a plot to kill him so the Romans get him out of Jerusalem down by the seashore to Caesarea where he is sitting in a jail cell for a few years, makes a few defenses, finally appeals to Rome, and he ends up in Rome in his own rented quarters under guard. It's been about five years, probably, at this point, that he now pens this. And is Paul bitter? I don't think he's bitter. And I hear it in his words. I'm a prisoner because of Jesus Christ. I suffer for your sake because I stand for the truth. So the question is, how do we respond when we suffer? Unjust treatment. When you're slandered unjustly. When someone sues you and thus attacks your finances. When you hold to the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the Bible, and you're called a homophobe, do you get bitter? How about when the leftist government of the state of California is threatening and are in the process of making a law that will steal from some of you tens of thousands of dollars for your college education because you decided to go to a private Christian school. Will you grow bitter and hate them? Or will you suffer? For Christ. Do you get mad at God when you experience any pain, any setbacks, emotional, relational, social, physical, or do you fight to rest in God's sovereignty over all of that? Paul said, through many trials and tribulations must we enter the kingdom. Truth saw him through. Jesus stood before Paul in his resurrection and said, I'm going to be revealing to you very personally, Paul, how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul was suffering because he stood for the truth in his own Jewish culture. Here's a lesson we can learn from that. Particularly a lesson that those of us who are preachers of the Gospel can learn from that. And that is, Be a little bit more creative and learn to tiptoe around difficult 
and controversial issues that you run across in the Bible. But instead, just preach nice, sweet-tasting things and put the name of Jesus all over it. And be ambiguous enough so that no one is offended at you. And you can avoid a lot of suffering. But why could Paul not do that? It's right there in our text. Paul couldn't do it. Because God revealed to him certain truths that could not be compromised. Verses 2 and 3. You have heard of the stewardship or the responsibility of God's grace that was given to me for you Gentiles. That is how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly. He could do no other. I mean, just think about it. It would have been so much easier for Paul to just try to make peace with these guys. Maybe you could have a conference with them, Paul, and say, look, okay, we disagree. We're not going to come to, to the same mindset on this issue. So why don't we just do this? Let me do church my way. And you guys do church your way. If anyone asks, we'll say, no, we serve the same Christ, the same Jesus. You know, we affirm one another's ministry and get on with it. But one reason is, is because the Judaizers never would have gone for it either. But Paul would never go for it. Because what was at stake in their teaching was a dismantling of the gospel, though they continued to say some of the very right core things. But what they added to it was destroying it. And salvation of many souls would be at stake. So Paul fought. Paul stood for the truth of what Christianity really is. Even if it meant that he would have to suffer, be called bad names, be hated, and be jailed. So in our present day situation in America where more and more loose sexual morals are from the culture infiltrating the church more and more, where the group of churches called Hillsong and their music industry, which I think there's a movie coming out about them, when the leadership in those churches is waffling over the issue of homosexual sex, and many other denominations have already crumbled under it, and many churches are crumbling under it, maybe if we just tiptoe around it, in our culture... You know, we want to win people to Jesus. I wonder how Paul would have responded. 
And how will we, believers now, in this so-called Western culture which is crumbling, how will we continue to respond to the culture that is more and more and more blatantly against the moral values of the Scriptures? What will we do? But here's the kicker in this text though. Paul counted it a privilege to hold to the truth and thus to suffer for Jesus' sake. He didn't grow bitter because he knew God was sovereign. Amen. He didn't grow bitter because he knew over all of the temporal things happening that he wouldn't deny. He can prayerfully rest at night and wake up prayerfully in the morning saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so, he didn't allow bitterness to grow. But he says, I am a prisoner of or for Jesus Christ. And I'm a prisoner because I stood for the truth of the Gospel for you in Ephesus and Colossae and Miletus and all of you Asia minor churches of Gentiles. I stood for you happily because of, as he will say again and again, God's grace. So when we face little prisons, when we face persecution from a spouse, where our finances are being attacked from others, or we're being belittled or bad-mouthed at work because of our faith in Jesus and our lifestyle, or on and on. Do we see ourselves as a prisoner of that? Or as a prisoner of Jesus Christ and thus that? Do we see those prison cells in the context of our ongoing, intimate, prayerful relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I mean, how do we do that? I mean, that's easily said, right? One key, and we'll get to another one in this text. And when we look at Paul, I want to follow Paul. How do you do that? Paul, one thing that really comes out clearly here is that Paul's secret was that he was amazed and never ceased to be amazed at God's grace to him. He constantly had a reality check. He didn't lose sight of how much He deserved hell. That He, Paul, was the persecutor of the church. He was under the wrath of God. That He was only deserving of all of this cosmic universe and the eternal Creator to pounce on Him in His holiness and justice and undo Him forever. But, Jesus saved him from it. Uninvited, Jesus saved him 
He's just in a temporal prison. That's Paul's theology. Remember Romans 8? And I consider that the sufferings of this present time, meaning this whole lifetime, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's how Paul could say, I'm a prisoner for your sake and I'm a prisoner of Christ. This is where He's led me. And thus in Him I'll trust. That grace, just look at it. He couldn't help repeating Himself. In verse 2 He says, You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In verse 7, Of this Gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. In verse 8, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So yes, Paul sees both. It's His grace that saved me. He couldn't get beyond that. And then he had a responsibility. He calls himself a servant. And he says, Paul, here's the grace. I'm revealing to you what to say. And you better do it. And Paul says, grace, grace. And if you're a believer, that very content that Jesus entrusted to Paul, you have written down. And it's God's grace that you can read it and be changed by it and hold to it in your culture. Remember what Paul said in chapter 2. He means this about his own life and every Christian's life. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were by nature children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's what kept Paul from being bitter. Nothing, to, nothing in this world, no pain, no riches, Nothing in this world compared to what Paul foresaw as the glory that was to be unveiled to him in the future. Resurrection of Christ. And Paul understood that his salvation came not by general revelation that we all have. It came by special revelation. What I mean is this. Human beings can reason themselves and ought to because that's where general revelation leads to. They can reason themselves to the existence of God. 
by general revelation, everything that God has made, as Romans 1 said. And I'm here, and I'm conscious. And there's other people here, and there's animals, and look inside the human body, look inside the cell, look at the vastness of the universe. There's, there's got to be a God, or at least Aristotle's unmoved mover. Common sense, good reasoning leads you there. Atheism is the stupidest intellectual statement going. But as much as general revelation leads people who want to use their mind to the existence of God, it doesn't save them. We must have another revelation, a special revelation that you can't get from observing the universe and deducing there's a Creator. And God has given us that special revelation. You can't deduce from reason through general revelation that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But He did. Special revelation is that God promised that He would give a Savior and a Messiah through the King of of Judah called David. And He did. You can deduce a God from the creation, but you can't deduce the Holy Trinity which God unveils in Scripture. And that God unveils that that historical figure, Jesus from Nazareth, born of Mary, was the second person of the Trinity who became a human being in order to fulfill what was written beforehand as the sacrifice taken away, the sin of the world. That on the cross, He didn't just die, But something happened. God's wrath was propitiated. You can't get that other than God choosing to reveal that reality about Himself and about His work. And that is what Holy Scripture is. We have historical eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And then we have, once He ascends to heaven, the apostles and the prophets to whom God by the Holy Spirit revealed the meaning of all of that and the application of all of that and the implications of the whole Christ event. Let's read it again. That's what Paul says. Verses 3 to 6. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive or understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. 
And so he calls this a mystery. Right? And so by mystery, Paul's referring to God's unveiling, revealing a tr- truths of something that up until then, it was hidden. You can't get those hidden things that are now revealed by general revelation of the creation. You get them because God the Holy Spirit revealed them to particular persons and wrote them down for us. That's what he says. By the Holy Spirit to His apostles and prophets, He revealed. And I know I read it last week. I'm going to just read Paul's argument again in 1 Corinthians 2 when he's talking about those who had the responsibility on the same level of Moses and David and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Old Testament prophets. He says it this way about himself and the other band of the apostles. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. These things God has revealed to us, meaning us apostles. He's revealed them to us through the Spirit. And then what? We impart this in words to you. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. And thus we are interpreting these spiritual truths to you believers. That is, to those who are spiritual. Now, he calls it a mystery. Remember, Paul used the word mystery or mysterion in chapter 1. And this is what he said about it there. And making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time in order to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. So he's got this big mystery plan. You want to, you want to see Paul's really unfold it all? Read the book of Romans. Okay. So, But now here in our context, now, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he gives one of those specific outworkings of God's mystery this way. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. So here, when... Paul says that this aspect of the mystery was not made known before this as it is now being made known through the apostles and prophets. What he means is not until the coming of the promised Messiah, not until Christ came and fulfilled the law, fulfilled the sacrificial system, not until the one to whom the entire law and the prophets were essentially all pointing, 
Not until then where God fully revealed Himself. Remember Hebrews? He has spoken to us in the prophets in many ways, in many different times, but in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. Not until then Christ has now come. But that's not all. And then He ascends. And He called very personally apostles and prophets and revealed to them so that they would infallibly unfold the whole meaning and how it works itself out. And particularly to Paul, he gave the goods on how does this Jewish Messiah coming to the Jews, the gospel now of salvation, how does that work itself out to non-Jews? He entrusted that message more than to anyone else. The Apostle Paul. And so Apostle Paul essentially is saying throughout his letters, and it's implied here, most specifically the way this happens, dear Gentile readers, I know those guys are over your shoulders right now whispering in your ears, but don't listen to them. What this Gospel means is that kosher diet and circumcision and the other Jewish laws drop away as requirements for God's people as He Jesus has come to create one new people, Jew and Gentile. And of this message, look at verse 7, of this Gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister. You know what? Just Let's put the real word in there. I was made, because that kind of, you, know, you see robes and all that. I was made a servant of the Gospel. How? According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. He's a servant. He's a joyful servant. He sees the suffering in the hands of His Lord and of His Savior. And every believer who comes to Christ is made a servant. And so we need, we need Paul one more thing. How, Paul? I want to be able to do life. I want to be able to face my indwelt sin unforgiveness, bitterness. I want to be able to deal with the bombardment of the things that outside that seem to disturb my life. And I want to walk joyfully like you, Paul. So that's the question. How can we be energized ongoingly by the Holy Spirit in order to joyfully serve Christ, particularly in pain, setbacks, crying hardships? The answer is right here. It's right in our text. Particularly verses 3 and 4. The mystery was made known to me. Paul. 
How? By special revelation of the Holy Spirit. It was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, which he just did. Okay? Chapters 1 and 2. When you read what I have written, then you, believer, can see what I see. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I just... I, I don't know at this moment if we're all getting it, but that is an amazingly stunning statement. See, here, does Paul mean, okay, tomorrow morning, if I wake up and I do, my eyes are open enough and I kind of let my eyes float over the words of what Paul wrote, that somehow magically I will be energized and I will understand and see the mystery of Christ? No. It's not necessarily what he means at all. What he means is the content, meaning the meaning that I, Paul, as a human being who have been entrusted with this ministry because the revelation, meaning the meaning of what the gospel is and how it works itself out was given to me it, and therefore I have that in my mind and therefore I have written what's in my mind here. So I have an intended meaning in my head that I expect through the words I choose for you to get out of the words so that that meaning gets into your head. I promise you, I think, if Paul were here, he would say, yes! It's exactly what I mean. He means the self-revelation of God that was given to him in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I have written it down in human language. And that means this, therefore. What he is saying is when... Human beings with their human mind engage with what he wrote while they're awake and dealing honestly with the words that he wrote. When they are doing that, reading, in other words, reading well, when that is happening with the chemistry of the Holy Spirit who dwells within them, then he's saying, You can perceive. What I'm seeing. And you'll rejoice in what I have written. You see, because it's one thing to read any document accurately, like Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's one thing to read any document accurately, but it is another thing that once you've read it accurately, <laughs> to be moved. To be convicted by it. To see the truth of what he's revealing there. And therefore, to follow Paul, we are in constant 
desperate need every day to pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 17 to 18. Deal bountifully with me. That's what he means when he says, with your servant. Father, deal bountifully with me today, your servant, so that I may live and keep your word. So I pray, open, open my eyes, the eyes of my heart, that I may see wonderful things out of your law. It's both. One is, learn to read. Pay attention. And the other is, do it prayerfully so that you just don't go away with, okay, I know that guy thought that 2,000 years ago. But you go away, encountered by God through the meaning that is clearly there on the pages of Scripture. Paul wrote it down so that those who have been miraculously born again and thus they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are pieces together of the temple, Paul said last week, so that throughout our lives we will continually be being developed and matured and deepened by what he wrote. And so, when believers in Jesus use their minds to read carefully the meaning that's on the page, then they can get it. Then we can be wowed by it. We can be brought to repentance again and again. We can feel deep gratitude for His grace. Oh, His grace that like Paul saved me. We can have our minds and our hearts opened to really grasp the treasure that is there, contained in the words on the page. And so, how do we apply this? I think we did. So I just say it one more time. The application of this passage for us. Say it this way. I plead with us to constantly hear these words believe them and act upon them. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly so that when you read what I've written, you can perceive, you can see, you can understand my Paul's insight into the mystery of Christ. We have the transforming power that we need daily written on the pages of Scripture. And they are our precious treasure. And that's how I started. That's the test for every one of us. When you read Paul or hear Paul read, hear Paul unfolded, is there something about it that is like a magnet 
to you. Do you know that experience? Not always at the same level, but do you know that? You're His. When you read Him, do you believe it? And do you read it for meaning because it is a treasure? I mean, just think about it. If someone told you, as you go home, if you're at home this afternoon, flipping on the TV, and you find out in your backyard there is buried somewhere a treasure chest worth millions of dollars, do you think you would continue to numb your minds on TV at that moment instead of getting a shovel and a pick and going out there and starting from one corner to the next until you find that treasure? It's exactly what you'll do. And you will do it excitedly. Honey, need more lemonade! But you will continue on because you believe the treasure is there. And so those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we have a far better treasure than money. And I conclude it with Paul's statement of that from verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given in order to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the message that You have come and You have lived in perfect human righteousness in all manner exactly like us except without sin nature and without sin. That You have performed in Your humanness perfect obedience so that it be attributed to our account. And that You suffered and died because of our sin, You bore its penalty. And You've been raised from the dead. You are our treasure in the field. And we thank You that You have seen fit to unfold those unfathomable riches, contradiction in term that it is, to us in a book. Oh, may we, by Your grace, See it as such and thus act upon your word to the glory of your holy name. Amen.